And this is episode 19 of Poet Waffle, where I invite a poet round my house for an intimate chat. And during that chat, we explore the visceral space between fact and fiction, which I believe is more of a feeling where poets use their emotions to navigate the world and hopefully reveal certain truths that are neglected by those other fields. And it gives me great pleasure after... I think 19 months of not doing Poet Waffle, uh, to finally have a poet in my shed, and not just any poet, he's a poet, he's a writer, he's probably one of the best, if not the best poet in educations in the world, poet education in the world, um, I don't say that lightly, I've worked with him many times, and he's like the Federer uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the school classroom, without a doubt. Um, Please welcome um, Jacob Samler-Rose. Hello, hello, hello. What, what, what is one supposed to say after an introduction like that? It's all untrue. It's all untrue. That isn't untrue. I, I, <laughs> I think um, I've worked with you in the classroom so many times. And mm. I always, when I was ever in a difficult situation, I'd always think, uh, oh, what would Jacob <laughs> do here? And it was always the right thing. You know, you're very calm. You... you you're so elegant in the classroom and you don't see, you know, it probably takes so much energy, but yeah. you seem to be able to uh, do that without losing, whereas I burnt out completely uh, when I was doing 10 years, I did 10 years straight in the classroom, yeah. so it was hard work. Yeah, burnout is real, man. Um, I know it's become this kind of... Um this phrase, and when when things like this bleed into popular lexicon, um, and and you know these terms become so familiar, we kind of lose a sense of what they actually mean. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, burnout. They're talking about burnout again. Yeah, yeah, whatever. But it is such a real thing. I I, I was listening to you speaking to, I think it was Laurie, right, um, back right. in twenty nineteen on Poet Waffle, and she was talking about her period of burnout as well. Yeah. And yeah, I think so many of us do go through it, particularly, you know, I mean, obviously it's real for anyone and everyone, but particularly those of us who work in creative industries as creative independents who are responsible for not just doing the creative work, but also for managing everything around that production and generation. You know, there are so many different hats that we wear um, so many different balls that we have to keep up in the air, so many different plates that we have to keep spinning. And so much of that, I think particularly when you're a younger artist or perhaps not necessarily younger, but just, just not quite as, as knowledgeable. So that's not necessarily to do with age as such. It's just to do with experience. When, you're, when you don't have that kind of experience, you don't necessarily account for all of the various different things that you're doing. You just do things. Yeah. Yeah. And so there are these blind spots and there's this kind of like dark matter that you just don't account for, but still takes up space. And it is so easy for so many of us. And there are so many people that I know who, you know, have reached points where either their minds or their bodies have basically said, uh-uh, no, we're, we're done now. Yeah. <laughs> you need to sit down and just stop what you're doing for a bit or for good. Um, and it's, it's, it's something that's really important to me in terms of the conversations that I have with younger artists now in terms of how to speak to them and strike that balance between, yes, you can do, um, you know, anything that it is that you want to do. Yes, you can empower yourself. You can be empowered by things around you, so on and so forth. You can take advantage of all these different things. But at the same time, be careful. Um, you can't do it all at the same time. Um, you have to be aware of what your energy levels are and you know how much you are actually taking on and manage your workload and your portfolio in, in a sustainable way. Um, it's, it's a really interesting balance because you don't want to put limits on anyone because so much of this world is about putting limits on people, right? So you don't want to say, oh, you can't do that, sit down. You, you have to only just do this one thing and just focus on that one thing forever. But at the same time, just trying to support because you've had that experience and because you've seen 
so many different things happen for so many other people trying to offer something that says okay yeah cool the world is a wide and wonderful place you can do all these different things but just have a care just be smart about the way that you're working and look after yourself as best as you can um it's really important to me in in terms of the kind of conversations that i have with with younger writers these days i mean for me when i when i start the pace of it mm. was so important that if I, I i didn't really have a choice because i i felt i was i i had no pathways open to me mm. really i i I'd come out of uh, university. I'd been working for the University of Brighton. Mm. I'd had to leave there because of my mental health. I was in serious debt. Mm. I'd moved to London. Um, well, that'll do it. That'll push the, the debt even further up there, right? Yeah, and yeah. then it was just like someone offered me this um, these workshops in a school, mm. and I wasn't comfortable. I said, well, I'll do one day, because I'd done a workshop previous probably two or three years before that yeah. at the town art gallery i think in eastbourne yeah. and it was a disaster because i wasn't set i i you know had no idea what i was doing yeah. so i went in blind <laughs> and i came out the kids were upset i was upset <laughs> <laughs> you know? so when what did i do what did i do <laughs> i was like what well, you know i thought it would you know what i planned to do didn't happen yeah. at all so when that was a really good experience for me. So when a teacher came, she saw me perform. Mm. I think at the Laughing Onion pub on near Tower Bridge or somewhere up there, and um, or Blackfriars Bridge maybe. And she said, "Oh, do you want to come in for two weeks?" And I was immediately, "No, I won't. Mm. But I'll I'll come in for one day, mm. and if it's any good, I'll do your two weeks." She said, "Great," and that prepared me because I knew it couldn't be like the the first experience yeah. that I had. And so I I done a bit of research, got something that I thought was good, and it was beyond good. And I remember standing on a station on one of those Silverlink lines, I don't know where it was now, and f it was the epiphany moment. I was like, oh, I could do this. Mm. Uh, and then from that day on, I didn't stop working. Mm. And it was weird, but then I, because I'd gathered such a pace, and, it was, and the pace never stopped, and I needed to grab back money and yeah. uh, I, I suddenly felt that I had I felt that I belonged somewhere by doing something I could actually that I was good at mm. uh, I, I realized a lot later on just because you're good at something doesn't mean you should keep doing it you know? <laughs> this uh, is the truth kids <laughs> you're listening at home this is this is wisdom being uh, dropped by Dan Cockrell right but, there. Uh, but that was a that was late when I had nowhere else to turn yeah. And it was it. I hid a lot of things from a lot of people mm. about how I was feeling, and it was only when I had to face up to those things that I realised, okay, I don't need to do this anymore. Mm. I, I got myself out of the situation I was in, mm. and then I felt like I still had to keep going and keep building, and and actually sometimes it's good to say, well, you made it out. You don't need to fight as hard as you did at the beginning when you were trying to start out yeah, and, and get yeah. something and if you've got good foundations if you're if you're in a good place from an early place as a kid and you have a good foundation you probably can pace yourself and have that if you're a kid who's coming out of poverty or something you might find it more difficult to slow down and stop than other people because you're 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 still in that flight mode. Yeah, which is one of the reasons why I say, I, I mean, in terms of the conversations that I was referencing with with younger artists upcoming, you know, it's one of those reasons that I, I, I try to maintain that sense of mindfulness in mm. terms of any advice that I might offer, right? I mean, this is, I mean, you have kids, so you know this. There's only so much instruction that you can give right <laughs> sometimes you just have to put the thing on the table and if they take the thing from the table it's all good if they don't well you know you you, you did your part as best you could um but yeah it is it's appreciating those kind of different backgrounds different circumstances different people's perspectives how it is that they need to approach the thing and what it is that they need to learn for them for themselves you know mm. and you can't legislate for that um you can only create the space for people to enter and then they take from it what they can take i mean i've, I've had that insight just because you know i'm very privileged to have identical twin boys right um who are 100 percent the same dna wow. but they are completely different wow, in okay. personality so i understand you know if i'd had one i've probably said this on the podcast before if i'd had one i'd be thinking 
oh, what a great dad I am. What, <laughs> what a great job I'm doing. Oh, okay. he, look at that, he takes after me there. Okay. Because I've had two, I realised they don't take after any of us. Right. They're their own spirits, and that's probably all kids. The reason you have three kids in a family and they're all different, because they've got their own soul that's and spirit, it. and they're learning their own ways, and they're the same. They're, they, sh- they should, you know, they've had exactly the same upbringing. Yeah. Um, the same advantages in life, same but they are so same opportunities. Yeah. So different in the way that they approach stuff yeah. because they are r- real individuals. And you, I think John Hegley said it to me. It's like, as a parent, you just bend the branch, but the, they've got the whole tree to climb. You don't. Re- you don't really have uh, any influence over how they go about. How, what they're going to achieve in life. Yeah, and, and like I say, I think you, you have to appreciate that. Some of us find it more difficult to appreciate that than others, you know? And there's this whole thing of, no, I should be pushing yeah. them to do this and that yeah. and the other. And hey, you know, if that's your parenting style, that's your parenting style. And I'm not yeah. saying this as a parent either. I should I should very quickly throw that out there. I've just worked with a lot of... A lot of, ki- a a lot lot, of kids. <laughs> a lot of young people, a lot of kids, a lot of... I'm, I'm like godfather to a million people. Um, wow. ah, kind of. Yeah. Um, yeah. Much love to all my godchildren. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, y- you know, I think there's a whole thing about ego in that. You know, there's this point that you reach, I think, where it's important to be able to say, this isn't about me. Yeah. This is about them. Yeah. You know, and yeah, there are things that I can offer and there are things that I want to offer. And there are things I think it would be a good idea if they listen to. Yeah, yeah. Damn it. Yeah. (laughs) But at the end of the day, I have to appreciate that there is a a border, there is a boundary, there is a threshold at which I have to say, this is not about me. And also, they're listening. When you think they're not listening, yeah, and that's the yeah, weirdest yeah, yeah. thing because you can yeah. say stuff and it, you feel like it's falling on deaf ears, but actually, a month later they're doing the thing you said. And you're right. like, okay, you was you even though you were in Minecraft world. <laughs> <laughs> you were, but the the thing I <clears throat> I ask a lot: How did you get here? How mm. did you get to this place? How did you know or that you were going to be a poet or be a poet in education? Mm. Because you seem so rounded and. Uh, have an understanding of it beyond your years when you you know those years all those years ago when I met you when you know we were trying to figure out when it was but it's shall, probably shall 2004 we, yeah shall we contextualize that so yeah. um yeah it was it was kind of 2003-2004 that we probably started working with each other and crossing paths and um yeah I think that was primarily the London Teenage Poetry Slam project right um mm-hmm. So there was that I'd started working in education, running workshops and things, maybe late 90s. Um, I came out of university in 97. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Same, same here. Yeah. So <coughs> it was um, pretty much um, straight in. There was this kind of wonderful... I want to do everything kind of moment where um, I'd come out of uni and I'd studied English literature with information technology, completely strange combination at that time, Um, but actually kind of informed and said a lot about the way that my mind works and, you know, what my interests are combined in various different things, right? Um, So, yeah, that whole kind of combinatory way of working was, was very much part of me. But, you know, in terms of arriving at poetry first um i'd had an interest in poetry from you know like my mid-teens i was a bookish kid Mm. i was always had my head in you know whatever books and 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 all this kind of stuff and i I was one of those kids who wanted to do what it was that i saw being done um which i know is a kind of a, a thing for kids anyway but you know i so i was very much into comic books mm-hmm. um wanted to be an artist yeah mm-hmm. very much into architecture wanted to be building mm-hmm. buildings right designing things and all that kind of thing got really heavily into stories story worlds um, narrative words and language started trying to write novels and when i say this i'm, I'm like in my early teens um you know i'm really trying to figure out what it means to generate stories in a serious way i sucked at writing any kind of lengthy narratives just didn't know narrative structure at that time so all my stories failed like horribly in the first chapter 
and then I'd scrap them and start again. Um, but poems, just just in terms of the quality of language and the, the kind of combination of sound and sense, mm-hmm. really just landed for me, yeah, working with poetry. Um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do with that. Mm. I didn't know that I could have a career being a poet. Mm. I wasn't even thinking. I was. I was like. A... Did you know? Po- did you know of poets? Were there poets in your family? Were no. There, yeah, yeah. No. No. Um, there were some collections of poetry on my mother's bookshelf, right. and <clears throat> I was. I was an English lit kid, right? Yeah. So um, you know, there was there was the poetry that was brought to me through my English lessons. Um, and yeah, I actually kind of appreciated the sonnets and, mm-hmm. um, you know, Keats and uh, a bit of Shamusini. Shamusini, I sometimes say, and when, when I'm kind of asked about my origins, it was Shamusini and Alice Walker. Alice mm-hmm. Walker was on my mother's bookshelf. Shamusini came to me through my English lit lessons at school and just appreciating these two different worlds of poetry, these two different kind of completely different worldviews and backgrounds and ways of writing and whatnot. And knowing that there was something there that I didn't quite understand in terms of the way that poems worked. Mm-hmm. but something that called out to me in mm-hmm. some kind of way that was like, yeah, there's something I want to do there. But that there was no sense of that, even though those were books on shelves, you know, there was no sense of an industry around that. Books were just mm-hmm. things. They were just yeah. like artifacts. They were repositories of words and knowledge, right? It wasn't like, oh, there's like, you can live doing mm-hmm. that. You can, that, that's something you can actually do. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That, you know, I was not the most practical of kids. Um, I did not have that sense of this is how I'm going to chart my career. I'm going to do this for a few years, then that, and then I'm going to build into this, and then I'm going to get my YouTube channel. And it, it, it wasn't that kind of thing at all, right? It was just I want to do something with words. This this word stuff is kind yeah. of cool, yo. Let, let's just figure this out. I, yeah, I I look at my boys. <clears throat> they're eight. Mm. They're already asking questions about career. Yeah. About so it really is when can I set up my YouTube channel right. and have, have this and, and start getting hits and thin is already or how do I get into sports doing this and there's pathways yeah. that I can see I'm like okay then you can do this I don't ever I remember being at college um, studying art because I left school um, they told me to go and work in, on the building site right you know right I couldn't do that Mm. You know, I was, I, I, and I, I had done it mm. in the part when I when I left the University of Brighton working there. I went and worked on building sites. Uh, I couldn't do it just because of the atmosphere, the people I was working with. It mm. was extreme, mm. to, and I was too soft and sensitive to be able to deal with any of that. Mm. And so there was never any pathways given to me. So I remember being at college. I'd left school. I'd found an art college went to it started studying art didn't know i wanted to be an artist didn't know what that meant um and it was only when one of the tutors i started studying photography and he said to me so i must have been 18 and he said you know you can go to university and i was like what that was first right. time, first time someone had ever told me right that i was like what i can go to you because i thought i was just going to work in a supermarket right or something i right, don't know right, 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 i had right. no idea and he said, no, you go to university. I mean, that, and that has its blessings and also its real, from where I am now, I, the, the, the distance I've travelled in yeah. from where I was to here is kind of startling and it, and it comes with all its problems. But actually now, you know, I'm sitting here in this house, in this office. In Cockerell HQ. I could have been working <laughs> as, as you know, stacking shelves or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if that one guy hadn't said, you know, you could go to university, or it would take me a long time to figure that out, another three or four years mm. to be, to go, oh, I could go to university and mm. study. Well, I mean, I was, I was kind of fortunate in that regard. I had a mother who was a teacher. And I had a mother who was very kind of aspirational in that sense. You know, she traveled to the UK. Um, yeah. When did she land? I think she landed in the 60s. I think it was 63, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I think it was 1963 that she landed. And, um, you know, she traveled from Guyana, which yeah. is where my family hails from, um, with this whole sense of there is a world out there and I'm going to make the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah 
of it as I can make. Um, so she'd spent some time in Bermuda. She'd set up her own secretarial school in Bermuda. Um, and then she was kind of thinking about settling um, and she had a thought about maybe settling in Bermuda. Um, she was gonna, there was somewhere else, I can't remember where it was, but she had another job offer um, in an African country. I can't remember which country it was gonna be. Um, but she'd had an offer with a compound and grounds and all this kind of stuff. She was thinking, I could go there or I could go to um, England and, and set up there. And she made the decision to come here. Um, and so, yeah, she worked here as a civil servant and then she got into education. She started mm -hmm. teaching right. and all this kind of thing and um, brought me into the world. And yeah, I think there was this kind of understanding of this pathway. And, you know, again, that kind of aspirational migrant experience, mm. um, particularly that whole kind of post-colonial thing. Yeah, y you are going to excel. You yeah. are going to do what it is that is considered to be, um, you know, this, this kind of path of progress yeah. in our host country. So, yeah, you're going to go get the good education. And I went to a, a fairly regular kind of um, primary school. Um, towards the end of my primary school, she was like, ah, we got to push you, push you harder. Mm. She started looking, got me into the last year of a prep school. Um, really hard work, single parent. Um, I managed to get some kind of part scholarship for it. Um, but, you know, it, it wasn't a great deal. And I didn't appreciate it as, as yeah. you know, so often is the case. Yeah. I'm a kid. I'm just like, oh, I'm going to a different school now. Yeah. What about all my friends? Yeah. Ah, and I didn't, you know, I didn't really have a sense of how hard she was working. I mean, I kind of saw it in terms of the hours that she was working and whatnot. But, you know, I was still off in my own world as a kid. Um, but, yeah, got into this, you know, good, quote unquote, air quotes, good school. Um, um, and that was, you know, with this intention of, of hitting that pathway. Mm. Go to school, get your grades, go to university, come out of university, be the doctor, mm. be the lawyer, yeah, yeah. be the engineer, be the accountant, whatever it is. Hit one of those professions, tried, tested and true, yeah. gives you a foundation for life, be successful, have the kids, yeah. have the big house, mm. so on and so forth. Ah, sorry, mom. Um. <laughs> I mean, because that story is so true for many Immigrant family, yeah, 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 because yeah, the, yeah. they've worked so hard, yeah, to get to wherever they were going, yeah, and then it's just like, okay, now we need this extra. And what happened when you said, um, you're gonna be a poet, <laughs> can you believe it? And she was like, What's what all is the, this? All this work what what, what does this doing? mean? <laughs> How are you gonna eat? How are you gonna put food on the table? What, what does that actually being a poet, what does that actually mean? You know, and again, to be fair, I probably could have had it a whole heap worse because, mm. you know, I mean, yeah, my mother was, you know, she, she read, she, she was aware of the value, the cultural value of, of literature and, you know, but still it was like, how does that work as a profession, mm. you know? Um, so yeah, there was, there was a challenging period and, and there was a period of time where it was like, okay, this is probably just a phase. You'll get serious, and I hope you get serious soon. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you don't waste too much of your life in this kind of whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I was having this conversation with um, with someone else who had a very similar background, um, and we were talking, but we were kind of comparing notes. We're different generations, but very similar kind of dynamic forces in terms of parents and the way that they view these kinds of careers. There's there's, there's like two things in there. There's this notion of um, yeah, what a creative career is um, and how that relates to, um, you know, the parents who have these aspirations, who just wanted to see their children succeed yeah. in different ways. But then there's also this sense of, um, I think I maybe came in at a, at a point where, where we were starting to have a certain sense of freedom, however, again, aspirational or idealized that was, to be able to say, hmm, Maybe I want to think about what I want to do. Yeah. Maybe it's okay for me to think about what I want to do as opposed to, okay, got to work really hard, got to get the job, then I got to set up this life yeah. so that I can bring the next generation in and then the next generation after that, I have to kind of fit into the 
the production line of generations and you know i have a responsibility to um to to to, to carry on the tradition so to speak yeah, yeah? um i think we we kind of hit this 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 shift perhaps in thought it was like it became, a sweet spot yeah yeah it became a little more i don't know acceptable a little more appropriate a little more whatever for us to say hold on a minute don't actually want to work in a bank yeah hold on a minute I, I don't actually want to be an accountant or an engineer or you know i appreciate the fact that someone wants to be a doctor but i don't think that's me and i know it, it could be a good profession it's an odd old profession we all need doctors we always will need doctors so on and so forth but i don't think that's me and it's okay for me to say that i'm going to stop you there because you mentioned freedom yeah and, the, and that that's probably a freedom of thought there of like yeah. oh uh, I can do something else that's not set in stone. Yeah. You know, I didn't have to go and work in the factory. And it was just like, where did those ideas come from me? Mm. I'm not quite sure. Mm. I don't know why I decided I'm not doing that. Mm. Even though it, it would have been probably easier. And prob I probably would have had a, a, a less traumatic life. If mm. it, if I, I wouldn't have had the, the excitement of the life that I've had. But mm. during Poet Waffle... We, uh, we like to ask a big question. So we are going to go to that moment now. This is the Poet Waffle big question. <laughs> so Jacob, you've gone for a really good one, especially in these times. This, this is a really big question yeah. because it can take on many, uh, go in many different directions. But you, you want to try and answer, what does it mean to be free? Hey, you'd almost think I'd set you up with a nice little segue there. It's almost <laughs> as if I know what I'm doing. In that regard. Wow. Um, yeah, I don't know if I can... Do I, do I want to try and answer that? I, I'm, I'm up for having conversation around it. Yeah, can you um, answer a little bit of it? Or do you want to yeah. start a conversation of, of why you chose that question? Maybe? Well, I love, I, I, I love engaging with this notion of what freedom means. Yeah. And... Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm very invested in the notion that it, it, it's completely a relative thing. Um, you know, I, I, I think that there are ways in which we idealize freedom um, and we romanticize freedom. Um, but also there is a sense in which I, I remember being in um, this is in one of my poems, actually. I remember being in uh, in school in what, what was then for us the sixth form, um, sixth form class um, with, uh, I can't remember what the lesson was called then, but it's probably like a PHSE kind of thing. Right. Um, a teacher just talking about life and stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, our, our teacher for that lesson was, was he basically said, yeah, you, you'll never really have freedom. You'll never really experience freedom. And in that, in that lesson, like, I just, I remember just throughout all of us, there was this kind of gut kind of response, like, no yeah. way, like, we're like, going to be free. What are you talking yeah, about, yeah, old yeah. dude? You yeah. don't know what you're talking about. Soon as we get out of this, <laughs> this institution, we're going to have freedom. Yeah. Ah, and, and I, I kind of come back to that moment and, not just that moment, but the actual feeling yeah. that that statement inspired in me. Um, every now and again, I think back to it and I'm like, oh, Mr. Cantwell, you knew what you were talking about, yeah, mate. Yeah. You knew what you were talking about. And I get what it was that you were trying to put forward. It wasn't this notion of actually trying to limit us. Again, it wasn't this, this notion of trying to lock us down. It was just this appreciation of the fact that we exist in continuum with all of these other things be they entities be they institutions whatever it yeah. is we are we are never truly 100 percent independent yeah and with that notion of being in continuum with all of these different entities comes a notion of obligation and responsibility and when you have those kinds of obligations and responsibilities the notion of freedom becomes a really interesting philosophical, um, you know, kind of basis for 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 thought and 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 um, and conversation and argument 
Um, because, you know, freedom, one could argue that freedom, true, pure freedom, is the ability to do whatever it is that you want to do, whenever it is that you want to do it, right? And for so many of us, in fact, for most of us, if not all of us in this world, that will never be more than just an ideal, Yeah. right? Now, there are ways of practicing freedom within our constraints, and that, I think, is a beautiful state. And I think there are ways in which limitations, constraints, responsibilities, obligations can create or engender a sense of appreciation um, for the ability to make choices. Yeah. In the same way that mortality um, can convey upon us uh, a sense of appreciation for life. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so the scarcity of the thing increases the value mm. of the thing. Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I find it, I find it, I find it fascinating. I find it a fascinating thing, particularly in this time where we're like, yeah. you know, uh, eighteen months later or however long it's been. Um, hey, we can quote unquote go back to work now, whatever yeah. that means. Or some of us have been stuck. So I've been looking after an elderly parent, my yeah. mother, bless yeah. her. Um, you know, I've been looking after her, and and because I've been looking after her, it's meant that I've had to be very careful. Yeah, yeah about um who it is that i've been interacting with so i've pretty much been on lockdown and in this kind of state of isolation yeah so that i could ensure that if i'm going to interact with my mother i'm not going to pass anything on to her so i've been kind of contained within about a square mile's worth of southeast london how did how did that affect you as a because i feel i've I've changed Mm so much when we were talking about poetry and story I, I, I would never thought I'd write stories right but in this <clears throat> period <clears throat> sorry I started um, writing stories fantastic and I was just like what where did that come from because yeah. I'd, I'd never have done I, and I feel definitely changed as a person yeah. from the extremities that we had to go through has that experience of being your your freedoms um, restricted because of your obligation to look after your your mum, how's that changed you, or do you feel, that, you know, were you depressed in stages, or has it made you stronger? It might be too early to say whether it's made me, well, no, actually, I think it, I think maybe it has, um, I think, again, when you have to contend with any sense of limitation, when you actually put yourself to the task of trying to not just survive those limitations, but actually find a way to be, um, actually find a way to push forward and make any kind of progress. Um, you know, I think there is growth that happens mm. there. Mm. I think there is this capacity or this possibility or this potential for, um, for yeah, change, growth, development, so on and so forth. So yeah, f- for me specifically, um, I think one of the things as, as a human being, there, there are many things that, that there isn't necessarily a, a blueprint for, that we're not handed the guidebook that says, this is probably something that you're going to need to pay attention to as, yeah. you, as you get older. <laughs> and that whole thing of having to look after a parent, yeah. you know, I was, I, I, I was not prepared for that. I'm not prepared for that. Right? Yeah. It, it, and, but it's just a real thing. I mean, where do you think they're going to go? <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. different people, different experiences, for sure. And different things happen in different orders for different people. Totally appreciate that. But the possibility of it, yeah. you know, I just it just didn't enter into me. Um, my parent was someone who was strong, willed, mm. able to look after themselves. Did I mean, I'm, I'm kind of taking care of her, her house for her at the moment, some kind of external and internal redecoration and she she's she's in her 80s and she she keeps reminding me every now and again yeah i i did that <laughs> he's asking for how much I, I was up the ladder doing that in my in my day in my time I'm like okay yeah great but that's who she was you know she yeah, was yeah. this powerful <clears throat> woman this powerful my family is is populated with with you know strong strong independent women um which is there's a whole conversation around that and the the kind of um the prison 
um, as well as the the, the kind of um, the, the the power in that archetype, also the prison in the archetype becomes right. But yeah, you know, um, there was I as a boy, kind of raised with this whole appreciation of this parent as a strong black woman, independent, able to do all these things herself and looking after all this business and whatnot, inlaid um, within a, a family structure of strong black women, and you're the child in that, and you're like, okay, yeah, cool, fine, mm. I'll just do my thing, and, mm. and these people have got theirs, all good. Yeah, yeah. And you just don't, you know, there, there was kind of, 15 years ago, I started becoming more aware of, oh, I'm going to need to do a bit more of that. Yeah. I'm going to need to take care of that. And now it's like, yeah, it's I everything. That, that idea of freedom moving that is, especially over the last 18 months, mm. I can give examples of performing that you don't actually realise, because you know, the freedom's on a spectrum, don't realise that you were freer before. Yeah. In some so I did, yeah. we didn't realise the freedoms we had before lockdown came. Yeah. And I remember, so with Bangs at the Gun and the, and the show, when we were upstairs above a pub, there was lots of restrictions, but we were very free to do what we want, yeah. when we wanted to do it. Yeah. No one was telling us you can't. And as soon as we moved to these bigger venues, we had restrictions put on us. And said, yeah. no, you can't have someone come in and light a firework on stage. Yeah, and yeah. Health you, and safety. Yeah, mm. and you can't, so even the gun um, at the Soho Theatre, we've got this toy gun. One of them's in front of you there. Um, <laughs> we wasn't allowed. I had to... I used to throw it over my head. Right. And they're like, no, you can't drop yeah, the I wanna, gun. I, I want to see the risk assessment for that, mate. Yeah, they said, you can't <laughs> drop the gun. I said, it's, it's not a gun, it's a, you know, it's a toy, yeah, it's yeah. a prop. And she said, no, definitely a gun. You can't drop it. And I, and in the end, we were like, oh, Matt, so we, you had to, even though you got help on many other ways when you're on those big stages, actually, you you take away a bit of your soul. You, it's a little mm. scraping of, what we could have done above the pub. Yeah. You cannot do those things anymore. But again, as as, make, as, as you were saying, it's like, how do you account for that and then still find a way to do what is valuable, not just necessary, but actually of meaning and value within that context? So yeah, the limitations start to close in, but the question is put upon you even with these limitations, what can I do yeah. that will have value here? Yeah. And hey, maybe you get to a point where it's like, actually these limitations are too restricting um, and I need to change my set of circumstances. Um, if you have the opportunity to do so, you know, then, then great. But for, for some of us in certain circumstances, in certain contexts, whether it's, you know, managing event, whether it's thinking about a career, um, whether it's dealing with family circumstances and whatnot, sometimes it's like, actually, I have to deal with the cards that I've been dealt mm -hmm. and I have to figure out how to make this work in the best way possible. And sometimes you find those solutions by being forced into that set of circumstances. This is probably a very kind of stoic, you know, Epictetus would be proud. Um, stoic philosophy and all that. But yeah, by being forced into those kinds of circumstances, um, sometimes you come up with those solutions that you would have never thought possible and that you would never have considered as solutions or ways of being in the first place. They wouldn't, yeah. they just wouldn't have been present for you mm. because of all of the other freedoms yeah, yeah. that you initially had, yeah, yeah. right? I don't know, life I, stuff. Right? I think also for me, the freedom, um, in the past, well, past probably 10 years, mm. um, you know, for the depression and anxiety I've suffered all my life, but mm. managing that and ways of managing that, um, suddenly, you know, freedom w from within, mm. of, oh, if I do certain things, I can take away a bit of this personality that's been, um, that I've either taken or been forced onto me, right. you know, you're Daniel from Essex, right. you speak like this, right. you are this, you're a poet. What if you can relieve yourself from all those things, mm. suddenly you can, you can have more freedom, so your, your mind is actually freer. If you can get rid of the baggage that comes along with, you know, uh, for you would be, okay, Jacob, you've got to be a doctor or a lawyer. <laughs> you know? And so yeah. you, you manage to break, take off those things, put them down and say, do you know what, I'm going to be this, I'm still going to be a, 
this amazing individual, but I'm going to do it in poetry. I'm not mm. going to do it in... Uh, and that freed it. I think that's... Amazing. And so I've, I've managed to do that with meditation yeah. and other ways of actually... You know, I'm not that person. Yeah. I'm not the, yeah, the yeah, thing yeah. that people have put on me or what from back home they think of me. And around you, the, your, your family, they can probably see the real you. And mm. if you can make that person the best it can be, that's probably more important than anything else yeah. outside of there. You know? I, think, I think that's some really, really powerful thinking. And I think it's... The interesting thing about that for me is the way in which we continue to accrete these these expectations or these perspectives, right? So at one point in, in someone's life, it might be, I am not the insert role here mm. that other people think I am. But then, you know, as you continue to move forward and as you continue to establish things for yourself, um, there are ways in which um, maybe people confer archetypes upon you. And maybe that whole notion of continuing to interrogate the self, continuing to interrogate who it is that you really are underneath all of the roles that are placed upon you and all of the expectations, that's like a, a lifelong practice, mm. right? As mm. opposed to here's a threshold that I passed and now I know myself right, and I'm yeah. fixed <clears throat> and I'm great yeah. and I'm completely connected, you know. Um, so again, bringing it back to <coughs> my specific context, yeah, great. I was able to get beyond the, um, my family has this kind of post-colonial expectation of certain careers that I will kind of fit into that will be considered acceptable. And I managed to sidestep some of that, partly through sheer pig-headedness and, and mm. a little bit of naivety, mm. in fact, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but then also... Um, I work my way into a career where I am a poet. Yeah. Um, and what does it mean to be this kind of poet as opposed to that kind of poet? And how do you deal with the expectations in that context? Yeah. And I'm a facilitator. And I'm a mentor. Yeah. And I'm an editor. And again, you start to accrete certain expectations of how you should be yeah, yeah. in relation to each of those roles. Yeah. <coughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, think, I think that notion of continuing to ask that question, who am I really in relation to these various different things that I either ascribe to myself or that people ascribe to me, I think is a really important question for us all to ask ourselves. And I think that, coming back to this whole thing about freedom and what this past... 18 whatever period of time it is that we're talking about since um kind of early last year um i think that's one of the questions that has kind of floated to the surface of my thinking quite a bit and i don't i don't even think i have concrete answers i think the answers that i may have found during that time of limitation or lockdown are now necessarily shifting again as things start to open up again and as some of those expectations start to come back in, right? Um, am I going to go straight back to traveling up and down the country, kind of visiting yeah. schools and, and, and doing gigs and, you know, all of that kind of stuff and running projects and, you know, with my artistic director cap on and all that kind of stuff? Am I going to go straight back to doing that kind of stuff? I mean, apart from the fact that half of the schools are still doing of video things it's like mm, i don't know i don't know um yeah so yeah that that kind of constant that that regular if not constant but that kind of regular process of interrogating the self i think is so important and that is most probably why we're poets because we probably mm. are asking that question and it's always why or who am i and that's probably what maybe mm. one of the one of the things poetry is or art is. It's you you yeah. put something out there and it's like, well, what's happening there? Yeah. Why why is the artist doing that? What is that about? And it suddenly opens up, uh, you know, many questions making you see the world differently. Uh, and because we do what we do, we probably ask that of ourselves as well. Like, well, what are we doing here? You know, why are we doing this? And it, so our path is always maybe changing more mm. than if you've got just a regular job and you're doing your nine to five and you might just dislike it. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, again, I think that's interesting. Um, particularly now. So we were talking earlier about the notion that there weren't so many established pathways, mm. right? When we were up and coming. So you kind of had to make the road that you were walking at the same time as you were walking it. Yeah. yeah? Um, whereas... I think more recently, it's still not like a mainstream profession, but so to speak. More, but there are more yeah. pathways, and there's, yeah. there's there's kind of more of a sense. So, for example, um, you know, the whole kind of if you're a spoken word poet, whatever that means, um, yeah, you'll do your um, you'll do your open mic gigs, then you'll maybe get your ten minute slots, and then you maybe get a big twenty minute set, maybe a half hour set, something like that. You'll start working towards a one person show. You start maybe touring that show. You know, there's this kind of sense of okay, yeah, this is just the, the, the way that it's done, yeah. right? And it was never there before when we, we started it. Yeah. And I think the more that is kind of a Bruce Leeism, right? The, 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 once the way is defined, um, once you start to get into that kind of rigid sense of the way that things are, it's much, those things become much more fragile, right? Yeah. Um, in a way. So, um, uh, you know, what you were just saying in terms of, that sense of certain people in certain roles um, will find it more difficult to um, to kind of think beyond and, and, and won't necessarily have that, that driver to interrogate themselves in the yeah. same way. Once the path is defined and once yeah. you feel that you're on a defined path, maybe you're maybe for some people they're focusing more on the path yeah. than interrogating the self and yeah. their relationship to the path. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something for yeah, thank you for that thought, because I think that's something for, again, a lot more of us to consider as we start to. There, there's a lot of well-meaning thinking going into how do we build these pathways for upcoming artists, yeah? But I think we have to be careful as we build those pathways to, to build some of that self-reflection in. And I know there's a lot of yeah. good work that's happening along those lines. So, for example, there's this program that I've been affiliated with the um, Performance and Creative Enterprise Program at, at Guildhall, um, which is a BA program, which is, has been basically all about training a few generations of creative independence to, to do their thing, um, whether that's socially engaged practice or whether that's, you know, um, spatial poetry. Shout out to Joshua Judson, <laughs> who to this day I still bow down to in terms of the genius of his thinking. Um, but yes, yeah, some fantastic, fantastic people have come through that program, and I know how much, you know, how much they've taken this on or not is a question for each individual student. But I know that some of the facilitators there brought in this this kind of notion of this self-reflective practice and really engaging with why am I doing this? What is this all about? And how do I actually relate to this work? What does it mean for me to be doing this work? I think the word you mentioned a bit early on in that was rigid. Mm. You know, when the pathways become so rigid, you can't be fluid anymore. Yeah. And, and that works for some people. You know, the school system works for some people but because it, it's rigid in the way that it works. Yeah. Half the people fall off the edge of it or don't quite you know, get to, to understand it in the way that they want to understand it. Mm. Jacob, it has been amazing. <laughs> what are you doing at the moment? Are you, are you writing? Where can people find your work? Those sort of things. Or... Um, Google is your friend. Yeah. Um, turn off, turn off your ads and get your ad blockers going on, obviously. But yeah, um, Google will, will help you to find much about what it is that I do. Yeah. I've been blessed with one of those names that is, um, you know, I'm not like a John Smith or something. Yeah. So yeah, you can actually find, find me you. quite easily by tapping in Jacob Sam hyphen LaRose. Um, with a little space between the line and the road. What was the word that when you used to, in the old days when Google was invented, you could type one word in and it was the only thing that came up? There was a word for it. Do you remember this? Nah. I'm, th I'm thinking that Dave Gorman done a show on it. Or really? Something. A Google whack or something, was it? Okay. And you used to be able to type in a thing yeah. into a Google search yeah. and only one thing would come up. Those days are Interesting. Yeah, days no, really gone. no, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The, the, so the search bots are, you are too powerful now. You, you're, the first page of Google will come up with you. Basically, yeah. yeah. If you tap in Jacob Samuels, there I am. But yeah, so that's, that's easy ways to find me. Um, in terms of what I'm working on at the moment, you know, the doors are just beginning to open again. So during um, lockdown, I've been doing actually quite a lot of editing. 
which is only really a part of what I do, but it's it's actually been a real, I tell you what, lockdown has been about, for me, in terms of work, it's been about focusing down and doing things on smaller scales. Yeah. So yes, did I, did I run a workshop for, uh, not a workshop, a, a seminar stroke session for an entire year group of students for a school, like 120 people on a Zoom call? Yeah, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> I did that, but more of the work that I've been doing has been about the kind of one-to-one conversations. Um, so yeah, a lot of the editorial work. Um, Eleanor Penny's just had a fantastic um, pamphlet out. Um, there are a couple of other pamphlets. Um, and manuscripts that I'm working on with people. Keep eyes out for, um, shall I say some names? Say some names. I'll um, get them off you and then I'll write them down at, at the bottom of the... Fantastic. Uh, so we got Sarah Estruk, um, up and coming. That's going to be a fantastic pamphlet called Say. We've got uh, Laurie Ogden coming as oh, yeah. well. Um, I have a lot of love for both of them. Laurie though, because Laurie's also a Barbican Young poet, so yeah. I've, known, I've seen Laurie develop over the years and you know from the kind of fresh-faced poet that she was when I first met her uh, oh so many moons ago to this kind of phenom that she is now in terms of the acting the script writing you know the the, the kind of world of, of theatre but also what it is that she's doing with her poetry it's an absolute joy to be able to work with with you know all of the people that I get to work with so yeah there, there are things like that happening in terms of the editorial work that I do um, there's my own writing, which yes, is happening and, and has been happening. Um, it's been, you know, it's been a, uh, a joy to have a little bit of space during the lockdown period where there weren't so many expectations again on what the writing should be or where the writing needed to go. So, you know, not so many commissions or I need to do this piece for this mm. particular thing, mm. but just, huh, what do I actually want to to, to be engaging with through the writing. So yeah, there's been more of that happening. Um, funnily enough, there are a few commissions upcoming. There's some collaboration work happening. I'm being very vague about some yeah, of the yeah. work. Yeah, yeah, but they, they can find it when you're out Yes. There. It has been beautiful, not just because it's the, you know, the first poet back in this shed for such a long <laughs> time, <laughs> but also, you know, meeting you. I haven't seen you for so long. Yeah. And it, it's just wonderful. Um, I can't wait to listen back to this and see what we actually said and what we covered. But I, I know we would have said things that are really, you know, fantastic uh, uh, to to think about more. You've been listening to Jacob Samarose, and you've been listening to Dan Cockrell, and this has been Poet Waffle. Poet Waffle was written and presented by Daniel Cockrell, original concept by Jack White, music and audio production by Julian Ward, artwork by Damien Wayhill, and technical support from Laurie Eaves.